G'day and thanks for joining us for this week's Two Ticks Town Talk, a segment of the Australia Talks podcast. I'm DK. And I'm RD. Please enjoy this segment from the regular podcast. I've been a big man. I've been a big man. Okay. This week's Two Tick Town Talk, uh, we go over to WA again. I feel like I had a couple of trips to uh, WA via the Two Ticks Town Talk, but this was another interesting one. So this is Northampton, uh, or probably North Northampton uh, in WA. So it's, uh, it's a town, 52 k's, 32 miles north of Geraldton in the Midwest region of WA, Western Australia. Uh, 2011 had a population of 868. So it lies on the Northwest Coastal Highway. Uh, was originally called the Mines, um, but was gazetted as Northampton in 1864. And surprise, surprise, <laughs> named after the colony's governor, John Hampton. Oh. <laughs> yeah, another, another one. Um, the the town was sighted. Uh, Friggin' egos on these blokes, I tell ya. <laughs> yeah. uh, the town was sighted in the uh, Nakanina Brook Valley between the hamlets around two major copper mines in the area, the Warrenuka and the Gwala. Uh, prior, prior to the arrival of Europeans, the area was home to the Amangu First Nations people, and there are still rock paintings nearby. So a few factoids. Uh, one of the oldest towns in WA, um, as we said, declared a town site in 1864. Uh, also, lead ore was found by explorer James Perry Walcott um, in the bed of the Murchison River and establishing the mining industry in WA. So a Western Australia has a lot of reliance on mining, and it's got God, it's got bloody resources popping out of every bloody rock. It seems. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's interesting to hear that yeah, you know, this this lead all being found and the the copper with it. Um, that that was sort of one of the the starts of the um, mining for that uh, that colony. And what do we got here? Uh, by 1864, 980 tonnes of lead ore and 230 tonnes of copper ore were exported from the district, representing 14% of the colony's total exports. And the only thing that beat it was wool, which had it by 52%, and sandalwood by 18%. Uh, oh, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the mining I'm, is I'm just- most surprised by the sandalwood. I didn't know that was a big export, but there you go. Yeah, I, I'm trying to cast my mind back to whether we'd mention on a Two Ticks Town Talk or somewhere else that it's uh, for for the incense and that there's still, I mean, it's not that level of market anymore. No. Um, particularly given how much stuff they dig out of the ground, but that it's still a, a viable market over there. Sandal wouldn't, oh, God, listeners might remember. There was some other, there was some other tree that had... Um, Oh, I don't know if it was aromatic properties, but yeah. But back then, I 
to be honest, I didn't dig in any further into why sandalwood was that. Now that you, now that you've mentioned it, because that's a <laughs> that's a fair whack of um, the colony's total exports. Yeah, that's eight, that eighteen percent. Yeah, it must it must just grow really well there, or it does. Um, it, it it does. Yeah, that's my understanding that it grows particularly well, and there's a number of um, a number of groves over there that uh, yeah, it just goes gangbusters. Yeah, it's, it's a good I climate. do love the smell of it. I do. Oh, yeah. so do I. Yeah, yeah, big fan of sandalwood. Um, so as an indication of the the mining growing by 1870, 1877, So that's um, uh, thirteen years later than those figures that we had there. The district's export of copper and lead ore had grown three hundred and fifty percent, and were the colony's second largest export. Um, after war, so they overtook sandalwood. <laughs> yeah, come on. The factoids was that the uh, was the first Western Australian government railway line was constructed there from Geraldton to Northampton, a uh, distance of thirty three miles and twenty five chains, and opened in eighteen seventy nine. And no, I didn't convert that to metric, uh, <laughs> but yeah, around make a rough guess. Uh, it's also one of the state's premier wildflower districts. And for people overseas who uh, don't know much about uh, Western Australia, it has a number of areas where uh, they have annually just incredible wildflower displays. It's on my it's on my list uh, to to see, uh, but. People people will make trips from overseas, particularly for it. People make trips across Australia for it, just to see fields and fields of um, fields, paddocks, open areas, just full of uh, of wildflowers. So their their local website notes: Northampton boasts a wonderful array of beautiful and colourful wildflowers in season, including. Exquisite orchids such as the donkey, bee, cowslip, and the rare greenhood orchid. Uh, spectacular fields of pink everlastings and yellow pom poms are easy to find amongst the Northampton countryside, and the sand loving kangaroo paw can be found here. Love a good kangaroo paw. We've got a few of them here. Um, these are just a few of the magnificent range of wildflowers you find when visiting the Northampton region. But what particularly caught my eye, because that's a, I mean, the wildflowers alone is a big one and the start of mining. Okay, little bit of a quiz for you, because what caught my eye was something near to Northampton. In fact, Northampton was its service town. So see, uh-huh. if, you, see if you can guess this. What does Australia have a few of and what is one thing that WA is known for contemplating and even trying unsuccessfully to do when it had disagreements with with the other states, particularly not long after Federation. It wanted to uh, secede. Bingo. Yes. So what caught my eye? They hate the Commonwealth. (laughs) They want to leave. They're like they're like the Texas of Australia. They're always talking about. It. They won't bloody shut up. <laughs> Absolutely nailed it. So, what caught my eye is probably the best known Australian example of this. It's a little micronation 
called the Hutt River mm. Province. Yes, I, I knew it. No, yeah. Yep. Yep. I think most people over here do. So the Micronation is a political entity whose representation representatives claim that they belong to an independent nation or sovereign state, but it lacks legal rec- recognition by any sovereign state. And they're classified separately from de facto states and quasi-states. Uh, they're also not considered to be autonomous or self-governing as they lack the legal basis in international law for their existence. So the Principality of Hutt River, um, often referred to by its former name of the Hutt River Province. Now, this was an unrecognised micronation in Australia, proclaimed in 20, on 21st of April 1970. So farmer Leonard Casely declared his farm to be a sovereign state, the Hutt River province. A few years later, Casely might even be Casley. Casley is probably the correct term there. Uh, a few years later, Casley began styling himself as Prince Leonard and granting family members royal titles. The claimed territory had an area of 75 square kilometres, 29 square miles, making it larger than several recognised countries, like countries like uh, Vatican City, Monaco and Nauru uh, were, are smaller than that. In fact, there's a whole list that it's, it's, um, it's bigger than, or was bigger than. So, uh, and no surprise, I was particularly taken. I'm particularly taken with the idea of a, a <laughs> micro nation and seceding. <laughs> no surprise to you. So, how does it start coming about? Uh, Leonard Cassidy declared the principality an independent province in 1970 in response to a dispute with the with the government of Western Australia over what his family considered draconian wheat production quotas. So they had a farm that was uh, around 4,000 hectares, uh, just shy of 10,000 acres, of wheat that was just ready to go uh, when the quotas were issued. And those quotas um, allowed Casley to sell only 1,647 bushels, or approximately 40 hectares. So with his 4,000 hectares, he was only allowed to sell... Um, he was only allowed to sell 40 of that. So 40 of 4,000, you can understand why he wasn't particularly um, impressed. And there was apparently a bit of a boom with the the, the wheat production at the, the time, and um, there's a whole lot of stuff with the wheat board, a whole side story that, I don't know, might come up another time and something else. But... Um, Basically, the government step was stepping in and saying to wheat farmers, "You can only sell this." So, you understand being being pissed off. So the uh, so the, initially, the five families who owned the farms they banded together to fight the quota. Uh, Cassidy lodged a protest to the governor of Western Australia, Sir Douglas Kendrew, but the governor didn't assist. Uh, Two weeks later, Cassley claimed the government introduced a bill into Parliament to resume, which is try and take his and the other family's lands under compulsory acquisition laws. And at that point, he claimed that international law allowed them to secede 
and declare independence from the Commonwealth of Australia. Castley said that he nonetheless remained loyal to Queen Elizabeth II. So around about that time, he claimed that uh, in correspondence with the Governor-General's office, uh, he'd inadvertently been addressed as the administrator of the Hutt River province. Uh, And Castley claimed that this constituted legally binding recognition of the principality. Now, look, yeah, dear Michael Nations, there's just a whole warren of rabbit holes to go down. I do love, sorry to just yeah, jump in, but yeah, I, love, jump in. I, I love that because it's like, ha I've caught you yeah, out. I'm yeah, technically, and now I'm free, you know. Uh, it's a bit like the, the sovereign citizen type thing where if yeah. I say the right words, you know, the police will leave me alone and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit like that, but uh, this has... These guys do have sort of a, a, I do have a soft spot for them, you know, yeah. because the thing was, is, and I'm sure as you'll get into it, they, they were trying to legitimately do this. It wasn't just some stunt to get out of paying some taxes and get around some wheat, wheat, uh, quotas. It was like, he, he doubled down. This was not a, a little fad. This was a real thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Bloody oath. He went for it. So shortly after that, he styled himself as His Majesty Prince Leonard of Hutt. And he did this because, and again, we get into all these uh, little little side things, he did it because he reckoned it would enable him to take advantage of the British Treason Act of 1495, uh, which, which provides that the de facto king of a nation cannot be guilty of treason in relation to any act against the lawful king and that anyone who interfered with that monarch's duties could be charged with treason. So, yeah, I could imagine he just had a a head full of this knowledge. So he continued to sell wheat in defiance of the quota. Um, He believed that under Australian law, the federal government had two years to respond to his declaration of sovereignty, and he said the failure of them to respond gave the province de facto um, autonomy. But uh, so he, he stated that in uh, 1972, but that the Western Australian government can still dispute the secession. So he still gave them an out. So it's like, here's my interpretation of the rules. Uh, balls in your court now. Uh, Where would you go from there? Well, you go to there on 2nd December 1977, where Cassley declared war on Australia. (laughs) 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 But he notified authorities of the cessation of hostility several days later. Now, <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, oh, we dodged a bullet there. There's a little <laughs> bit of method to his madness. So uh, it might be more than a coincidence that this uh, declaration of war came just a few months after a court decision where Cassley was fined for failing to furnish the ATO with certain documents. Uh, so the short state of war, <laughs> short state of war <laughs> between the principality and Australia was a scheme whereby the prince's purpose was to argue that under the Geneva Treaty Convention of 12th of August 1949, 
a government should show full respect to a nation undefeated from a state of war. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is what I'm saying. He's, he's clever. He knows what he's doing. He's tr- he's trying all the loopholes, like I said, to catch them out, right? Yep. Yep. Bloody hell. I just, I, I love how he continually attempts to use the rules of the bureaucrat bureaucrats against themselves it's, it's like it's like legal warfare basically yep. right yeah yeah and that's it was so it was it was fun to read that and i think oh good on you that's another attempt so the royal lineage lineage uh so 2017 uh Cassley announced that after ruling for 45 years he'd be stepping down to be succeeded by his youngest son graham um with a number of potential sons and daughters, the successor was nominated by Cassley and approved by a Crown committee. So some commentary at the time thought that his oldest son, Ian, was to be the successor, but I don't um, don't know why Ian didn't make it. Uh, but it was passed on to Graham, and uh, a bit later on in 2019, Prince Leonard Cassley uh, died on the 13th of February. So we get on to how the province was besieged by the Australian government. So in my opinion, and looking at these micronations, taxes and control is at the heart of the bureaucrats' battles with the province, as it is with many micronations. So in, in 1977, despite claims of sovereignty, he was prosecuted, uh, successfully prosecuted for failing to comply with requirements to furnish the Australian Taxation Office with required documents. 2006, the ATO successfully prosecuted him again. Uh, he sought special leave to the High Court of Australia, but that application was dismissed and his arguments were considered Fatuous, frivolous, and vexatious, uh, which you could just do a little bit of a call back to whoever's paying the bills does have some control. Um, in June 19, 2017, he was ordered by the Supreme Court of Western Australia to pay $2.7 million in unpaid tax and his son, Arthur Castley, to pay 242000 uh, when he died in 19, 2019, he left his son, Graham, um, Prince Graham, let me use his correct title, uh, to inherit that debt with the, the tax office. Uh, unfortunately, 3rd of August, principality was formally dissolved amidst disputes with the ATO. The bureaucrats won, uh, demanded the principality pay millions in unpaid tax over its 50-year history. Um, So that, in conjunction with the financial impact caused by the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, meant that the principality's own land was sold off to settle the tax dispute. So how much legal status did the principality have? Uh, There was no legal status under, um, as a matter of Australian law. High Court dismissed his application. Leonard argued that he reside in, resided in the Hutt River province and that is not a part of Australia and not subject to Australian taxation law, which, as we heard before, they weren't too impressed with that fatuous, frivolous, <laughs> vexatious. <laughs> yeah. 
as as you can imagine. Um, and the Australian government unequivocally stated on its website that didn't recognise the secession of the principality. Uh, passports, because they did issue their pa- own passports, they issued their own stamps, their own coins, but the passports weren't recognised by the Australian government. But there was just a couple, of, and I'm sure these gave, I, I'm sure this gave the royal family of the, the Hutt River Province some hope. There's a couple of couple of occasions where organisations um, stated the province had some sort of sovereignty. The, muse, the National Museum of Australia contained an exhibition on the theme of separation, and in that they include the Hutt River Providence province display, uh, which stated that Castley successfully seceded from Australia. Uh, hmm. There's another one, Judy Lattice, who's a sociologist at Macquarie Uni, stated once that many officials in Western Australia, some quite high up and even nationally in Australia, are happy to play out the myth of Hutt River's sovereignty by attending Hutt River functions, returning correspondence, and abandoning the claim for tax. Some people thought they... Um, there were some bureaucrats who thought that should be abandoned. Uh, in 2005, the Shire of Northampton listed the Principality as having high historic and social significance as the site of Australia's only independent Principality. Um, 84 to 2010, Australian diplomatic missions in 28 countries exchanged 120 diplomatic cables with Australia concerning activities relating to the Principality. Um, In 2008, the Council of European Union issued a memorandum identifying Hutt River passports among known fantasy passports issued by private organisations and individuals to which a visa should not be uh, affixed. And this one, you know, I don't understand in some ways the reasoning of, of this one. This one just it genuinely surprised me. In April 2016, the Principality received a letter from Queen Elizabeth II, which communicated the Queen's good wishes on the anniversary of the founding of the Principality 46 years before. The letter from Buckingham Palace was signed by Sonia Benici, Senior Correspondence Office Officer. Uh, reads in part, I am to convey Her Majesty's good wishes to you and to all concerned for a most enjoyable and successful celebration on 23rd and 24th of April to mark the 46th anniversary of the Principality of Hutt River. And the Queen in that case was replying to a letter from Cassley congratulating her on her 90th um, birthday. That one, I thought that was an interesting one. <laughs> it's it's so much fun, right? Yeah. The idea, and I think that's why, you know, the Queen's office and, and so many bureaucrats and that, because, like I said, he, he gave it a real go. Like, he minted his own coins. He issued his own passports. Like, he wasn't, he had his own postal service. Like, you know, th- there's a handful of things you need to be, like, a functioning country. And yep. he did it. Like he got the book. He read he he was like because remember, we gotta remember this is like in the 1970s. Yep. Uh it's not like you can just bring up Google and be like, how do I make my own country? Uh he he's one of these pioneers of this sort of uh 
fun, rebellious nature of, of you know, at the end of the day, uh, Australia's never going to formally allow him to secede because he doesn't want to pay us taxes. That's not how society works. But the fun of it is that, you know, he, he's genuinely giving it a go and he's not just going, my house is a new nation and what are you going to do about it sort of thing. He, he yeah. legitimately, he did everything by the book as if he was another nation. But, of course, <clears throat> the problem with being a nation is you only really are a nation if other countries agree that you're a nation. Oh, there's, a def- there's a definition There's a definition of that. So on, on uh, 31st of January 2020, this announcement was made. His Highness Prince Graham has informed me that the government of the Principality of Hutt River has decided to dissolve the principality, which will once again become part of the Commonwealth of Australia. So, looking through the history of micronations, both here and overseas, it's it's interesting to note how intolerant bureaucracies are of them. Also interesting to note how many of them there are. If you look up a list of micronations, you might be surprised. So, I can understand it to a degree. but there's a certain feeling I have of, look, you can have democracy <laughs> as long as it's on our terms about it. But one of the things that was, <laughs> was interesting is I found it difficult to get the exact numbers because there's a few sources that seemed reasonable enough um, to use as an estimate because uh, they were all sort of in the rough ballpark to say of the roughly 100 or so self-declared independent entities around the world, about a third of these can be found in Australia. And that Ah. was a surprise to me. There's, uh, (laughs) you dig a bit more, and there's a few little inspired micronations around Australia, some of them virtual, some of them um, revolving around a, a driveway, some of them revolving around Round where, a driveway. Yeah, yeah. There was, <laughs> I think, in Mossman of Sydney, where there was there was a council was uh, not going to give uh, a, approval for a driveway, and um, I, I I don't remember the bloke's name, but he he went down this line of declaring it an independent thing. So, uh, and and that it, that in lies the problem, right? Yeah. And, and look, sorry that yes, that you 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 um remind me before on this. It's worth noting that um when we're talking about micronations, no micronation has ever become a state. It is very unlikely that any micronation will ever become one. This is because, and this goes to what you're saying. This is because to be a state. An entity must possess a government or system of government in general control of its territory to the exclusion of other entities, not claiming through or under it. But just like Hutt River Province, once proudly served by our Tutix Town Talk town of Northampton, just because the bureaucrats keep winning doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying. <laughs> I Hot River Province definitely has a, a soft spot in my heart, as I'm sure it does. Like you said, you mentioned a lot of a lot of official people that it kind of touched them as well. And I think it's because of 
his tenacity and and his you know the fact that he was like this isn't a joke this is real this is what i'm doing uh i do know a couple of people that had visited and purchased uh you know their main draw was the tourism aspect and and you could purchase uh like commemorative commemorative uh, coins and and money and things like that um they'd stamp your passport and things like that so it was a bit of fun (laughs) and like i said there wasn't really much to do there it was more just kind of like the tourism of the fact that it is what it is. Um, it is a shame that it, it's gone now, but I, I, com- I, I do completely understand why all the bureaucrats are like, through the official channels, they're like, we can't have this because it does set a precedent where you can just be like, nah, I'm not paying your tax anymore, you know, get stuffed. And like you said, <laughs> there's a driveway in Mossman, which is its own country, which is just absolutely ridiculous, right? Like, you yeah, can't. It, prop- it prompted its own uh, its own <laughs> micronation. Yeah, exactly. And you can't allow people just to to disagree with the rules and just be like, nah, you know, I, I'm gonna my house is my own country now, and and I don't have to pay land taxes or, you know, blah 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 blah. At the end of the day. Um, it is a, it is a bit silly and ridiculous, but I think the beauty of the Hutt River province was that it was as old as it was, uh, and the fact that it was incredibly isolated. It isn't a it isn't a very remote area of the country, well, the world really, um, and it wasn't relying on really any other services. So he was, kind of, you know, he was kind of just like, eh, I can just leave because, and what are you going to do about it? And you know, it took them a long time to nip it in the bud. I do Ooh. want to add, just before we move on, that if you drew a line southwest of Hutt River Province proper, the homestead at least, uh, straight towards the coast, uh, which is the port of Gregory exists there, there is a uh, lagoon called the Hutt Lagoon, and it is famous because it has a pink lake that's oh, right oh, another that's right. one this was a uh, two ticks lake talk the whole time <laughs> oh that's that's an interesting little joining of the 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 dots <laughs> <laughs> actually to be fair that lake is quite interesting because it is it is uh partially mined for the the um I think it has lithium in it, so it is. Ah, right, yeah. It's yep. very big, uh, but it is it is quite interesting in that respect. <laughs> 